Join me, if you will, by opening up first. Let's see here. Let's open up to Galatians chapter 6. And we're going to be looking at the first couple of verses in Galatians. So today was a, let me turn off this EQ. It's going to sound kind of funny. Today's been an interesting day. Oh, let me get that from you. Oh, it's empty. Okay, there you go. So normally we'd be uh, starting in the book of Acts tonight, and we'd be looking at the rest of um, what we've been reading. However, there have been a couple of things that the Lord has just been putting on my heart recently, and so I figured we could take a look at some of these things tonight and get a just kind of take a break from Acts, and we can come back to that. So we're going to be tonight in Galatians and... Philippians and James, and we're going to be looking at a couple of different things about our, our lives as a Christian and how Christ wants to form himself in us, right? So starting in Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 5, it says, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual Restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Now listen to this. For if anyone thinks himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one examine his own work, and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone, and not in another, for each one shall bear his own load. So there's, man, there's a lot we could talk about from this passage. In fact, I've been kind of in and out of it for the last couple of weeks, last month or so, but there's one thing in particular I want to pull out of this. Notice it says this again. Bear one another's burdens. And so, by doing, fulfill the law of Christ. So, what's the law of Christ, first of all? I mean, most often when we talk about the law, right, what do we think? We think the Ten Commandments, we think the Levitical law. So, what's the law of Christ? Jesus said all of the law and all of the prophets hangs on these two commands. First and foremost, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength, with all your soul. And the second one is like it. Like it. Which means we can't even do the second one if we don't first do and understand the first one. 
to love God with all of what you are, with every aspect of your being, not just with your, your time, but with your finances, not just with your finances, but with your effort, not just with your effort, but with your love, not just with your love, but with your diligence, not just with knowing the scripture, but by allowing God to work in your heart, not just by allowing him to work in your heart, but letting him work through your hands with every part of who you are. And he said, the second is like it, to love your neighbor, to love your neighbor as yourself. And all of this, to love God and love your neighbor, all of the law and the prophets is found. All of it. And we know that this is the law of Christ because the New Testament tells us that love fulfills the law. We're not bound to the Old Testament law. We're not bound to the Old Testament Levitical systems. But however, the things that the law tells us are still true. The character of God that we get from the Old Testament is still true. When God declares something is wrong, it's still wrong. Now we've been made clean by Christ by the perfect sacrifice. So we don't have to worry about clean and unclean. We don't have to worry about offerings. We don't have to worry about holidays. We don't have to worry about temples because Christ has made us a living temple. And he has once for all paid the debt of sin that no blood of dove or ram or goat, you know, no bull could ever do. Ever. And if we would simply love one another, we would actually fulfill the law. Because if I really loved my brother, I wouldn't take his wife. If I really loved my brother, I probably won't murder him. If I really loved my parents, I will obey them. Sorry, teenage years might have been rough for some of the parents. If I really loved God, I wouldn't set up idols, rather physically or in my heart. So you see, love fulfills the law, and we're called to love one another. It would be foolish for us to say we're Christians, to gather into a church and not love the people called by God, which are in our lives. And it's interesting, it says here again, I'm going to read it one more time, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. What does that tell you? If I say, hey, bear this load with me, does that sound pleasant or maybe slightly unpleasant? Probably slightly unpleasant, because if it was a pleasant thing, I wouldn't have to bear it, right? You're bearing with something, you're carrying the weight and when the Bible tells us to bear one another's burdens, you know what that means? That means as we're a body and as we love one another, there's going to be burdens. There's going to be burdens that other people in their life have that are going to affect your life. There are going to be burdens that other people in their life have that have nothing to do with you, have no reason for you to step in to get your hands on, to, ha to help with. It's their problem except for the fact that Christ has called you to bear them. So there are going to be burdens. Sometimes it's things that's going to happen to people. Financial stress, death of a family, right? Um, whatever the case may be, sometimes it may be things that they're bringing on themselves. Maybe, if you were honest, maybe there's somebody in the body you just don't like. 
You don't like their personality. You're barren with them just to be around them. Well, praise God. At least you're obedient there, huh? And we laugh, but that's, that's, that's real. That's real. As a Christian, I don't automatically find myself enjoying everybody's personalities. But I love, I love the people God puts in my life. And so it makes things like that easier. And it's interesting, we were talking about work today at the, this church called The Sanctuary. There's a little thing I go to on Wednesdays, and we eat, and we talk, and pray. And we were talking about work, and we were talking about how work is a, it's a physical labor, it's a burden. But as men, especially, because it's a men's lunch, we were created by God to work. And so even though it's a burden, even though it's a, a strain sometimes, there's actually a joy, and there's actually a fulfillment that comes out of work. Now, there's also work that just maybe you don't feel so fulfilled by sometimes, but hey. But in the body of Christ, when there are burdens, when we have to work towards loving and accepting somebody, when we have to work towards dealing with somebody's issue, when we have to, to work up within ours to bear financial burdens of others, to bear um, loss, pain, discomfort, whatever the case may be. We should, we should, as Christians, find joy and actually even fulfillment out of that because the Spirit of God lives in us. And the Bible says that God is love. God is love. And so if God is love, and if God is in you, and if you're supposed to walk by the Spirit, then you should, you should be fueled in everything you do by love. But here's the problem. Things tend to creep into our lives, sometimes unnoticed. Things like jealousy. Things like bitterness. Things like selfish ambition. Pride. Right? Arrogance. And these things tear away our ability to walk with the Spirit. They tear away our ability to see clearly the will of God, and they tear away the way we see and interact with the people around us. So much to the point that once there's that tear, a seed is planted, and suddenly this weed starts to grow inside of us. And, we, and like I said, sometimes we don't even understand. We don't even understand that we're being prideful. We don't even understand that the issue of our life is not somebody else. It's not your boss. It's not your coworker. It's not your parents. It's your own inability to submit to the authority God has placed in your life. We don't understand that sometimes. We're blind. And personally, I think that that's why it says right before when it says, if you, if you think you're spiritual and you see someone sinning, to restore someone, first of all, in gentleness, but also watch yourself. You're going to go restore your brother. You better watch yourself that you yourself aren't tempted. Now, I used to think, well, you know, if you, you got a buddy and he's an alcoholic, you, you want to go talk to him about, hey, let's not be an alcoholic. Be careful so that you don't drink. Or if your buddy's, you know, in the dope house and you're going to go try and rescue him out of it, be careful you don't go in the dope house. Right? And I think, hey, that's, there's probably an aspect to that. Okay. But even more so, what I've come to realize is what he's saying is, (laughs) 
You know, it's all fun and games. If you've got something to, uh, to tell your brother or sister in Christ, and you go and you sit them down, you talk to them and say, hey, I'm really concerned, and they receive it. And they're like, oh my gosh, you're right. Man, let's pray. I need forgiveness. I need to change my life. You're like, man, that was easy. That was great. It's much harder when they don't receive your words. It's much harder when you go in love and they respond in anger and they point the finger and they yell and they say, you're wrong. You don't understand. You know what the temptation there is? To get angry. To get angry. To get bitter. To leave a conversation where it didn't turn your way and then begin to slander that person behind your back, and you went to restore a person, and now you're sinning because of what you allowed in your heart. Do you see what I'm saying? And so there's a temptation at all times where we have to watch, not just for the sake of others, but for ourselves. I think it's all too easy to be a Christian and always be looking at other people. And what's crazy is we even do it in the church. We sit around and we stare at other Christians and talk about why they're wrong here or there. We look for reasons why, they, why they're wrong so we can talk about how they should be right. And it's foolish. You know, I've, I've told people many times, if there's an issue and you're going to bring it up but you don't have a solution, you're just whining. And I don't even want to hear it. If you've got a solution, I want to hear it. If there's really an issue and we're really going to address it, we're really going to pray for it, we're really going to try and help, then let's talk about it. Because sin is something that needs to be cast out of the church. Christ is very clear about that. But if that's not the case, if, if every time you, we talk, you just want to bring up the same subject and the same issue, I don't want to talk about it. And, you know, Jesus gives us, it's, it's interesting, Jesus gives us a very clear format. Jesus never says, I don't care what the world will tell you, Jesus never said, do not judge. Those words never came out of Jesus' mouth. He said, with the measure you judge, you will be judged. And before you go to pull the speck, out of your neighbor's eye, make sure you grab that giant log and get it out of your own. So Jesus is telling us something, not that judging a brother as far as, as, far as whether what they're doing is right or wrong, whether it's holy, whether it's acceptable for God, not saying that we can't do that, but before we address anything, before we look at anyone, but, oh, you better look at yourself. And I think that the biggest issue is the reason we have pride, the reason we have bitterness, the reason we have unforgiveness is people are always willing to be offended. People are always willing to point a finger, but they're never, not always, I should say, not always willing to stop and look at themselves and say, where in my heart could this same thing actually be happening? Where in my heart have I actually done this before? And what did it take to get me out of that? 
And so it says in verse 3, For if anyone thinks himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. You know, and I think that's really a <laughs> such a such an amazing um, description of what happens. You know why I think it becomes so easy for us to fall into this pattern of of pointing the finger and 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 becoming prideful, of becoming angry, and and not loving one another is because we really think we're something. We really think that we're something. You know, that we've achieved some sort of status, that we've somehow moved on to some upper level. But those people, man, they really got to figure it out. You know what I see when I read this verse? When I read verses, I just, um, I just automatically ask questions. It's, it's how I learn, it's how I teach, it's how I grow. And I have to ask myself, it says, if anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. I would, I would have to ask myself, well, who does that apply to? It says, if you think you're, some, you're something when you're nothing, well, who, who is that? Who is the one who's nothing, who might be thinking he's something? And you know what the answer is? All of us. Every single one of us. You stand before God and your good deeds and your righteousness become nothing. What you think you know about God's ways, what you think you know about his plan, what you think you know about who he is, becomes nothing. Because we serve an infinite God. You know, I have a really, I have a really simple analogy. It's, it's, it's not a very good one. It pales in comparison, but I want you to think about this. I, was, I, I started thinking about this a couple years ago. You know, I used, to, I used to have a very humble and simple ambition. Um, I just wanted to be the greatest fighter on the earth. No big deal. And um, maybe that, that came from watching Dragon Ball Z growing up and, uh, you know, Bruce Lee films. I don't know. But I was thinking about this um, a year or two back because I had already stopped fighting and, you know, my knuckles are hurting and my shoulders are hurting and my elbows are hurting and my knee is hurting and I'm only, you know, at the time I was only 22 or whatever and, and I'm just thinking about, well, what if, what if I did achieve that goal? What if somehow, by some means, I became the greatest fighter on the planet? Nobody could touch me, right? And then one day I was walking along and I slipped. That's it, I just slipped. Greatest fighter on the planet. I slipped. And I landed on a curb and broke my back. And now my legs are useless. What happens to my title and status as greater fi- greatest fighter on the planet? It's gone. It's gone. What if I, being the greatest fighter on the planet, suddenly develop Lou Gehrig's disease, like my buddy Chuck Smith, or not Chuck Smith, Chuck Woods has? And I can kind of walk, but I have to use a walker. I can stand, but only for a short time. And I have to have a mobility van to get around. What about then? I can move my arms, I can move my legs, but not well enough to do anything with them, really. What happens to it? 
And I begin to think, what if, um, what if we took the greatest bodybuilder that ever lived? I don't know. Is it Arnold? I, I don't know. I don't follow that stuff. But you've seen the, you've seen the, the guys get big. They're huge. I can only imagine seeing one in person, and they're just like this giant, like, pyramid thing of muscle. I don't even understand it. And you take them, and you go, man, that is really impressive, especially if you compare my little muscles to theirs, right? You're like, I would not want to get hit by that guy. And, and you see this, this world-famous, world-renowned person. You know what you do? You simply go out to the woods, and you put them next to a grizzly bear. And you know what that means suddenly? Nothing. You know what that grizzly bear would do? Kill him and eat him. And it would not be difficult at all. (laughs) Okay? (laughs) Not at all. It would not be hard at all. Okay? And then we think about the God who literally spoke. He breathed. And stars bigger than our solar system were birthed. And before him were nothing. And so at any point, if any of you begins to think you're something, I want you to know you're not. And I want you to know that as I stand up here with a little boom thing on my face, talking in a microphone, that I'm not anything. Anything. Other than what the Lord says I am and allows me to be. And all of that is simply a gift that I couldn't give myself, even if I wanted to. And so if anybody, being all of us, who is nothing, being all of us, begins to think we're something over someone else, you know what the Bible says? It says we deceive ourselves. Has anybody in here been deceived lately based on this? It's the reality of our lives. That's why the Word of God has it for us. So that we can, we can respond to Jesus' command. And before we begin to look at other people and, and compare ourselves, that we would look at ourselves and see that we're nothing and we have really not, not much to compare to. And suddenly we can have a sense of compassion that the same work God had to do in me to get me to where I am is the same work God has to do in another. And the same work God is going to have to do in me again tomorrow. But it does say this. It says in verse 4, but let each one examine his own work. Then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. For each one shall bear his own load. Each one will bear his own load. That means that there are things in life that God is going to give you. There are stewardships that God, are going to, that God is going to give you, right? There are things that you're going to be um, responsible for, and you're responsible for that alone, for that. You're not going to stand before God and get rewarded or punished based on Hunter's performance. You're going to be rewarded or punished based on yours. And so many times what happens is when you begin to speak to somebody and you begin to say, hey, you know, I want, I want to talk to you. I think there's an issue here. I think maybe, you know, we need to take a look at, at what's going on. What happens is immediately people will begin to say, well, you. Or, well, them. Or, well, they. And almost always I get quiet and I listen. 
and I hear, and they go on, and they're angry, and they're upset, and, well, this person did that, and that person did that, or maybe it's about me. Oh, well, you know, you really, Darren, if you really were smarter than, you know, blah, whatever, and I listen, and I say, okay, but what about you? What about you? You know, because if you, if you think there's an issue with me, we can talk about me. That's fine. After the conversation's over, let's talk about me. If you think there's something, let's address that. But right now, let's talk about this. If you think there's a problem with somebody over here, you know what? That's fine. I'll go talk to those people. But until I'm talking to those people, let's talk about this. The Word of God tells us to examine our own work. Because if we examine our work and we have a work to, to examine then, man, we can have joy. We can have joy. I can look at my life, and I can look at the work that God has given me, and I can look at how I'm, maybe it's hard, maybe I'm struggling, but you know what? There's a work, and I'm working towards it, and I can say, thank you, God, for what you've given me. Thank you, God, that there's been fruit. Thank you, God, that you're using me, and you're allowing me to be useful. But so often, we want to look at other people's work, and we want to criticize because we don't have a work to rejoice in either because there's not a work there or the work that is there is not good. And we're not willing to cast it out and replace it for a good one. We need to examine ourselves and to find rejoicing in ourselves alone before the Lord, not in others. Each one shall bear his own load. Turn with me to Philippians 2 verses uh, 3 and 4. See, we have this problem with our hearts that they are by birth selfish, self-focused, self-centered hearts the reality of who we are, you know? But the word says in, what is it, uh, maybe Proverbs or I'm not sure, um, how can a young man cleanse his way? By adhering to the word of God. And so in Philippians 2, verses 3 and 4, it says this, let nothing let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceits. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also to the interest of others. So, This is interesting. It, it's going to parallel pretty close to what we're going to read in James in just a second. But Jesus, when he says, love God and love your neighbors, you know how you do that? You know how you love God? In, in a lot of ways, by loving each other and by humbling yourself, by seeking to serve in the areas God has allowed you to serve. And it says here, to let nothing be done by selfish ambition. What does that mean? 
Does that mean I can't do anything that's going to benefit my own life? No, that's not what it means. God has given us work, and he's given us opportunities, and he's, he's called us that, you know, um, I don't, we don't preach a prosperity gospel that if you believe in Jesus, everything is going to be hunky-dory, but the Bible does say if you follow the Lord, you'll be blessed. It says if you follow the Lord, prosperity will follow you. The Bible does say that. It doesn't always look the way people claim it to look, but you know what? Sometimes it does. But this selfish ambition is when we look at the world, when we look at people, and when we act, there's a motive in our heart, and the motive is only about me. It's only about what I want. It's only about what's going to benefit me, and that benefit is put above anything and everything else. It's called a selfish ambition. God is pulled out of the equation. Others are pulled out of the equation. We were reading today again at the lunch that even work, the Bible says you who, st- who used to steal work with your hands. Well, obviously, you need to work and not steal, but it goes on. It says work with your hands that you have something to give. So there's a motive to benefit yourself, but it's also to serve the Lord and it's also to help others. Do you see what I'm saying? Let nothing be done in a selfish ambition where your only concern is yourself and let nothing be done with conceit. I should have I should have probably pulled out a good um, definition for conceit just so that we all have a very clear and um, um, uh, uniform understanding. So conceit is excessive pride in oneself. Okay. A fancy. <laughs> here we go. Man, Google that was quick, right? Um, a fanciful expression in writing or speech, an elaborate metaphor. So that doesn't necessarily apply to us, but in a sense, being conceited is admiring yourself in a way where you're making up, I guess we could use that, kind of this, this own adorned expression of who you think you are, right? And it becomes all about you. But we're supposed to cast that aside for the sake of the Lord. It says that rather in lowliness, In lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. So I wonder, what does he mean? Think about others better than yourself? Well, what, like, you know, pastors? Other Christians? He says others. That means the people you like and the people you don't like. Me and Hunter were talking over lunch about some... (laughs) some interactions we've had with, with teachers and principals and whatever things in school. And honestly, what it comes down to is even those people who come against us and who anger us and who are, are being very rude. And we were talking about some people who have been very rude to us that honestly, if we were to serve the Lord, we would still have to think of them better than ourselves. Because I know I'm nothing. And I know that they're nothing before the Lord, but being nothing, I'm still going to honor them by making them something in my eyes. And that's what the Lord has commanded us. Let, n- let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. So here's, a, here's an area where we begin to see the flip side of what we just talked about. The Bible says to, to first search yourself. Examine your own work. Find your joy there. Don't look at your brothers, and point the finger if you can't even examine yourself. But once doing that, now look at your brother and sister for their benefit. 
pay attention to those around you for their benefit so that you can bless them, so that you can bear with their burdens. And when we begin to, to have this as a, not just a general understanding, but really if, if we're willing to, to examine ourselves in this and take a look at our life and say, man, how often am I doing this? How often am I really doing this? How often am I, is, my heart, is my heart humbling itself before people, you know, when they treat me bad, when they're arrogant? How, how often am I humbling myself before people who don't deserve me to humble myself before? How often am I looking for an opportunity to bless somebody just to bless somebody because, you know what, it's not about me? How often? I want to read one more passage. It's James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. It's, it's, again, it's interesting, you know, I was uh, going to come to church and prepare a message, and then I found out it was Hunter's birthday, and so we went to do something else, and so I didn't, I didn't get to prepare a message, but um, I had this verse right here in James on my heart for like all week. I just kept thinking about it, and so I, when I got to church, I pulled out these other couple of verses and slapped them in my Bible um, because I, ju- I could just feel the Lord putting them together, but this is really... This, this, these verses right here are really what have been um, stirring in my spirit for a while about several different things. James 3, verses 13 through 18. It says, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow. Oh, I'm sorry, wrong, I'm in the wrong uh, chapter. Let me back up. Chapter 3, verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? I wonder if someone walked in the building and said that. Someone just burst in. Who is wise and understanding among you? Oh, don't, don't, don't do that. I wonder how many of us would go, oh, well, I mean, uh, since you're asking. Right? But it's interesting because James is asking. Hey, you know what? Well, never mind. But who? Just think about that. Think about the people in the room. Think about the people in your life. Think about the people in our church. Think about yourself. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness, the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, Do not boast and lie against the truth, because this wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, and demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there, but the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then it's peaceable, it's gentle, it's willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits without partiality and without hypocrisy. And now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Look at that. He says, who, who, think, who do you think is wise? Who of you thinks yourself to be wise? He, he doesn't say prove it by telling me how many memory verses you have. He says prove it by showing me your works. That they're done with good conduct. And that the things you do are done in meekness. You know what's amazing about that? 
That right there, wisdom, right? And the meekness of wisdom. And what we just read about, um, basically about the lowliness of, of, what was it, lowliness of mind? You know what's amazing about that? Those are some of the very first Beatitudes. If you're not familiar with the Beatitudes, Matthew 5, okay, starting in verse 3. It says, blessed are the, blessed are the, blessed, and there's a whole list. And you know what? It's in order. It's how we step into kingdom and advance to the king, through the kingdom. And the very first one is, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's the very first one. The third one is, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Those are the first couple of beatitudes. And as we're reading through and we're looking at them, admonishing us to walk in wisdom and to walk as Christians, if you think you're wise, if you think you're spiritual, and he brings up the first couple of things. You know, you know why I think that he does that? Just personal opinion. Because most people, most of us, when we deal with pride, when we deal with anger, when we deal with bitterness, when we deal with unforgiveness, when we think we're something above others, you can't do that with a lowly spirit. And wherever we think in our, we are in our Christian walk, however, however high up we think we are, you know what? We just showed that we haven't even got past first base. Because first base in the Christian lifestyle is be poor in spirit. Second is mourn for your sinfulness. Third is be meek. And if you're meek, if you're patient, if you let God work, he'll, you'll inherit, he'll give you these things that you need. And then he says this, but if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your heart, do not boast and lie against the truth. This is, this is demonic wisdom. This is, but you know what? This is what we do is we try to justify ourselves. We try to justify ourselves. That's why when, when people begin to say, but them and but you and but her, it's because they're trying to cover up themselves. And it's interesting, before, many people, when they're, when they're walking with a selfish ambition, when they're walking with conceitedness, when they're walking with their own motives, they come up and they start telling me and they start defending themselves about things I haven't even brought up. I'm serious. I'm serious. It happens all the time, all the time. You know? And you know what they're doing? They're boasting. They're boasting because they're trying to cover up some inadequacy in their life, some, some, some um, selfish motive that they know is there. And so they have to boast and they have to make things look better than they are to try to hide that. Does this make sense? Does anybody have an understanding of what I'm saying? Yes? You know? And so it says don't boast and don't lie about the truth. Because when, when people do that, or if you're doing that, and someone addresses you, suddenly, when your motives are exposed, there's always a different reason. Well, you, you know what I hear a lot? And uh, I'm bringing this up. We actually just watched the video where a pastor was addressing this, so it's kind of fresh on my mind. But <laughs> my mom will laugh at this. 
you know, I just, you know, I just want to do this, and I want to get all this money, and I'm going to be rich. But, you know, it's really because think about how I'd be able to bless the church. Think about how I'd be able to bless people. I would just really, you know, it'd be good. And you know what? That's cool, right? So me and my mom have talked about this a lot, and I believe, like, let's take my mom. I believe for my mom, and I believe for myself, that if we in, it suddenly inherited, you know, $139 million, that there would, there would be people with new homes. There would be a new church. There would be money given out to missions and whatever, right? That would happen. But at the same time, sweetheart, I don't know who this is. Let's put this up, okay? Thank you. At the same time, these people who are saying, oh, well, you know, I need all this money, and I'm just going to do such great things, and I'm going to help the church. I'm if, if we were honest, our motive is first me, and then I'll slap on this badge of Christian service, and it'll make it all good. Now, that's just an example I'm using, but this comes into everything. We get these selfish ambitions, we run after them, and we try to slap Jesus on it and say that it's good. And say that, oh, no, really, there's somehow in there, God's will is in there. It's in there. And the only will that's in there is yours. And we begin to boast, and when we're, con- when we're confronted, we lie. And we lie. And we're adding sin to sin. But this wisdom, a wisdom that causes boasting, a wisdom that causes superiority, a wisdom that, that makes us look at others as less, is not godly wisdom. It says it's wisdom that is earthly, sensual, and demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. Confusion and every evil thing. Have you ever met somebody who claims to be a Christian and they... They have all these things. You start to talk about them. They just start immediately, they start justifying why they don't go to church, and they start justifying why they live this way, and they start justifying why they have these friends, and they start justifying why they do these things. And at any point, you try to not, not to hammer them, not to, not to accuse them, but just to say, well, you know, I'm not really, I, I don't think that's quite what the Word of God says, you know, and I think there's probably a better way, and, you know, that's not really how we're supposed to walk. They get angry, and they, they start, and then you start talking, and a lot of times, th- they're so confused. They don't even understand what they're saying. They don't even understand what they're doing. Because wherever self-seeking is, wherever this demonic wisdom is, it begins to warp the way we see and understand things. And not only are we confused about the way that we walk, but we begin to c- be confused about all things, Right? We can't even understand the basic precepts of God because confusion and and every evil thing are there. Guys, I'm telling you, if there's any envy in your heart, if there's any selfishness in your heart, if there's any bitterness or unforgiveness in your heart, don't think it's okay because that's all that's there. No, every evil thing is going to start trying to jump onto that bandwagon. And as long as that's in your heart, Satan has a foothold to add those things to him. Because with bitterness comes unforgiveness. With unforgiveness comes anger and hatred. And with anger and hatred and bitterness comes self-loathing. With self-loathing comes self-harm, whether it's through drugs, alcohol, 
right? Self-harm isn't just taking out a knife. It's all these things that destroy you. And it's not from God. But it says that wisdom, you think you're wise. Wisdom is, that's from above, it's first pure. It's pure. That means that anything that has to do with you, if you pull it out and it's still there, and it still matches God's word, it's pure. It's undefiled. Wisdom that's from above is also peaceable. If you're really wise, you don't... I should have never seen you having to, to get angry and fight and start an issue and trying to defend yourself with force or trying to... That's not wisdom. Because God doesn't do that. It's peaceable. It's gentle. I see people... Um, and I'm sure I've done it. I'm not, I'm not, when I say I see people, I don't get left out of the mix. It's not like I've never done any of these things, right? Um, <laughs> but we get to a place where we think we know something, and we see someone else, and they're messing up, and we just, well, you know what? They're doing this and this and this. I don't care what you have to say because wrong is wrong, and you know what? And they go to address an issue, and all it is is this. That's all their words are. It's just a hammer. There's no gentleness. No gentleness. I'll tell you what, when God speaks to me, conviction comes hard, right? And I know he's speaking to me. But at the same time, there's also a gentleness. He's firm. He's stern. He's unwavering. God's truth is unwavering. But he's gentle. And he takes time to work in my heart. He doesn't come in and smash me over the head and tell me I'm stupid and tell me I need to get it right right now. He doesn't. He doesn't. Wisdom from above is gentle. It's even willing to yield. It's even willing to yield. It's full of mercy and good fruits without partiality without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown not in harshness, not in knowledge, but in peace. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. You want to see someone who's wise. Look for someone who holds their peace, who seeks to make peace with others, and who allows God to move first, not only in their own life, but also in the life of another, before they say anything. And there may be some wisdom there. But if any of us think that we are something, and we're nothing, man, we have been deceived. We need to repent. If any of us have, had, have been bitter, have been self-seeking, if we've envied others, we need to repent. That's not God's will. That's not the Spirit of God working in your life. And we need to pray that the Lord would forgive us and grant us the power to forgive others. 
We need to stop and examine our own life and humble ourselves and realize that before we can put ourselves, unless we, unless we make ourselves poor in spirit once again, we haven't even got off the first base of our Christian walk. And wherever you think you are, you're not. And we need to allow <laughs> the God of wisdom to come and bring peace to our life so we can give peace to other people's lives. Because in everything we do, we have to first love God. And if you think you're righteous, but you're acting out of step with his will, how can you say you love him? And we have to secondly be willing to love others. And yes, sometimes that means correction. Sometimes that means discipline even in the Lord. But if it's not done with love, it's not done right. So I hope that, I hope that the Lord spoke to you somewhere in that tonight. And I pray that there's a, there's a weight on your heart, not in condemnation or, or anything like that, but just to know that God is speaking to you and that he hasn't forgotten and um, that he wants better things for his body and that he's willing to give it to us and grow us and put us in a place where we do look like this. And so I just want to pray tonight that God would continue the work that he's already started in all of us and that anything in here in this heart that's in the way of us looking like Jesus, that God would yank that out and throw it far away from us. So, Father God, I thank you for tonight. I thank you for this church, Lord, or this, this congregation um, as part of your church. And, Father God, I pray for all of us, Lord, that wherever we are in our lives, we all need mercy just the same. We all need your grace just the same. And so, Lord Jesus, I pray that you'd forgive us. That you would show us where we've been prideful, where we've been foolish, where we've been bitter, where we've been angry, where we've been jealous, Lord. And you would show us all these selfish desires that we've chased after. And Lord, I, I pray that we just give them to you right now, Father God. I give these things to you in the name of Jesus. And I pray, yes, forgive me, Lord, but also take them and change me so I don't walk in that way anymore. Lord, I pray that you would give us hearts filled with peace so that as we walk with you, as we, as we love others, we would, <laughs> we would be sowing peace and we would be sowing righteousness because you're with us. So, Father God, humble us, show us. Show us who we really are, Lord, and teach us that in all things and all that we do, to do it in love. So, Lord, may your love fill us Wash over us and be with us as we go. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.